Google TV has just introduced a big update to its live guide. The director of product management explains the changes, what's next, and why he doesn't see TV OS consolidation anytime soon. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News and Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media joins me and then we're going to have Ben join us. Hey Colin. Hey there Will and yes I'm really excited we got Ben Savage from Google TV to come talk to us about some of the advances in that TV operating system. But uh, I think first before we do that we're going to do a couple of news stories that hit our radar and I think I'm going to get started right? Go for it. So my story is that uh, Slink TV has just added eight new channels to its free streaming service, appropriately called Freestream. Uh, and it's leaning pretty heavily into the single IP world here, Will. Four of those channels, Baywatch, The Price is Right, Family Feud, and The Three Stooges, I think, are, can be considered single title channels. Uh, and then there's a, some some other stuff like uh, Maximum Effort Channel, which is classic TV and movies, and Unbeaten, which is a premium sports channel. So that there's a bunch of stuff going in there. But the real reason I mentioned it, Will, is I continue to be surprised that other virtual MVPDs and actually more broadly other SVOD services aren't moving into the freemium world and offering channels outside of the subscription i just think this just makes so much sense now sling tv has now 400 channels of free content that people can watch without signing up without you know creating a sign-in or credit card or anything and it just makes a lot of sense. Get people to your service. You can advertise them to get them to step up to premium. And even if you don't, you're still earning money from them through the advertising in the free world. So, uh, you know, I just don't know why more services aren't doing this. Yeah, I think you're right, Colin. I think it seems like a good idea. And my hunch should be that we are going to see more of this going forward, actually. Uh I think Comcast just announced, or Zumo announced, that they were integrating some free, uh, some fast services into their um, service, weren't they? Yeah, but I'm not sure that that's outside of the paywall world. Certainly not within the Xfinity TV environment. I don't think that's outside of the of the paywall world. Uh, perhaps on the broadband box, which I think already has Zumo, Zumo that is. But, you know, it just it just seems so sensible, doesn't it? I mean, it gets people to load your app, gets people used to using your app and transitioning to them to pay just seems such like such a short step. But uh, anyway, yeah. maybe 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 you're right. Maybe we'll see more of it. Well, that's a good segue, actually, to what hit my radar this week. Speaking of the service provider market, I um, noticed that YouTube TV is expanding its multi-view feature, which listeners will remember you and I were pretty enthusiastic about when it launched um, to uh, some, a subset of the YouTube TV base back during March Madness, then allowing up to four simultaneous streams of different games. Now it's being expanded to five simultaneous uh, streams and it's across other genres besides sports. So it's gonna include weather, news, um, 
and of course sports up to five channels. And as we know from last time, the way that they're doing this from a technical standpoint is that they're essentially mashing these streams together on the back end and then delivering it as just one stream to your connected TV or smart TV or game console, whatever you're using to stream. Uh, that cuts down on the processing power that's required uh, in the user's device. And it sounds like what they're going to do is organize these multi-view packages in a way that users will then pick and choose which package or collection they would like to access. So it's not yet going to be fully customizable, although one has to believe that that's coming at some point down the road. Yeah, well, I think it's a I think it's a great feature, and I, it's definitely something that I expect to see in NFL Sunday Ticket when that goes live later this year. Boy, <laughs> this is coming around quick. It's going to happen this year, I suppose. So yeah, I, I don't know. I wonder how many how many genres is this actually applicable to. I was just thinking about weather, so I can have like five different cities weather going continuously in this feed sounds that way although again at least initially you're not going to be able to specify which five cities it will be whatever collection youtube tv puts together but again i would think that at some point that's exactly what you'll be able to do is just like you flip through a weather app on your phone and see what the weather is in five ten twenty different geographies that you would be able to stream some type of weather uh, from you know whatever service provider is offering it yeah well, I'm looking forward to seeing it, Will. So, anyway, I think it's probably time for us to jump into our interview, right? It is. And I'd like to welcome Ben Serich, who's Director of Product Management at Google, to the podcast. Ben, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Hey, Ben. Great. How are you? Doing all right. Good to see you. So, I guess we should probably start at the beginning. And maybe a good place to start is for you to tell us exactly what Android TV is and what Google TV is and how the two relate or don't relate. So why don't we start there? Yeah, so you can think of Android TV OS as the base layer that developers build for. So, for example, if you're building a streaming app, then each TV operating system presents itself differently. Uh, it exposes certain APIs that you can use. There's an app development environment, app discovery and distribution infrastructure. And so in the case of Android TV OS, you know, the streaming apps that you build, they're Android apps. The discovery and distribution is via play. Um, and then, you know, that on top of that, in 2020, uh, we launched Google TV, which is our vision for what the overall end-to-end -end TV experience should be. It's what consumers see when they turn on the TV it's built on top of Android tvOS, so for developers, they didn't have to do anything differently than that, what they were doing before. Um, and we launched it first on the Chromecast, uh, and then uh, since then, OEMs such as Sony, TCL, and Hisense, they are all shipping panel TVs now with the Google TV experience built in. Thanks for that, uh, Ben. And if I could just follow that up with um, when you say it's the, <laughs> excuse me, the Google TV experience, can you uh, say more about what's included in that experience? Yeah, so the primary difference, I guess, between Google TV and other TVs is that we call it a content-forward experience. So what we heard from consumers is there's so much content to choose from across all the different streaming services. 
that it was getting harder to find something to watch. Or if you knew what you wanted to watch, it was sometimes hard to remember which app to use. Um, so we set out to make a TV that anchors on personalized content recommendations. And we try to make it as easy as possible to connect with the stuff you love to watch. Let's talk a little bit about Google TV and 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 how you differentiate it from other TV OSs. And let, instead of starting with the viewers, let's start with the TV manufacturers first, and then we'll talk about the viewing experience and differentiating that. Yeah, you know, the OEMs have been really central to the Android TV strategy since the beginning. You know, the whole philosophy of Android TV is we can take, if we can make a great TV product that's really easy for OEMs to adopt, um, then we'll be able to achieve scale. And I think we've seen that that approach has worked really well, and we continue to lean into that partnership with OEMs. Um, and of course, we don't make TVs of our own, and so we rely and depend very much on our OEM partners throughout. Can you say more, Ben, about what the um, how you approach OEMs and in order to incent them to work with uh, Android and Google TV relative to other um, others that are approaching them as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, at one level, I think, you know, building a product that consumers love is where it starts, right? So having something that's differentiated, that's not the same as other TVs that people love to buy, that's what matters the most for OEMs. Um, we also, we just had our uh, OEM bootcamp a couple of weeks ago. And so we listen a lot to what the OEMs are telling us about where they see the market headed, what kind of features they want to see. We try to build for that um, so that they can also uh, be successful in their own business. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the viewers then. How do you differentiate for the viewers? Yeah, as I mentioned before, one thing that's really important for us is that we provide recommendations that are personalized. And so, for example, we'll do our best to recommend content that you can actually watch that when you uh, click on the recommendation, you go straight into playback, not a service that you don't yet have. Um, and I think that is very much valued by uh, consumers. And when we develop features, new features or new products, what we do is we measure how impactful they are in terms of how consumers are reacting. So are they engaging with it? Is it working for them? And we're continuously updating the product. So that's that's actually a very different situation if you remember you know, back in the day, you'd buy like a 2015 model TV and it would stay that way for the life of however, seven or eight years that you have the TV. Nowadays, the way we think about the TV is when we roll out a new product feature, like the new uh, upgraded live uh, tab that we recently rolled out, that happens across all of the TVs, regardless of when you bought the TV. Um, so that, I think, is also another uh, differentiator from the point of view of the OEMs as well. And the recommendations that you were discussing there, Ben, can you talk more about what's what the sources are that are feeding into those recommendations? Um, if you're a viewer and you've just, let's say, brought home a Google TV and your recommendations start appearing, where's what's the source of this? Yeah, so we uh, content providers partner with Google and deliver a feed of their catalog. Um, and that is made available across uh, not only Google TV, but usually on Google search as well. Um, and that is the source of the information about which content is available on which services. Um, and then we can, as we 
you know, we collect some signals when you set up the device as to what services you have. So the user can tell us that they have, for example, a subscription to this or that service. Based on that information, we can tailor their recommendations. Um, and then we can learn over time uh, what they most like um, and what they engage with in the most. You mentioned the live guide. That has been substantially updated, I know, on my Sony TV and on my Google my Chromecast with Google TV. So tell us about that, what the what the update um, has, what, what you've done with done there. And uh, maybe you can also talk about a bit by, about why you're doing it. Yeah, so if we take a step back and think a little bit about our core mission to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible, you know, when we first applied that to TV, our mental model was that, you know, you might have a set of subscription streaming apps and they all kind of offered the same thing. You know, they had movies and they had TV shows and they were on demand. And the way they'd present that is like a set of rows of, you know, recommendations that you might scroll through. Um, but what happened in the past few years is the emergence of, you know, I guess you would call it kind of like almost a parallel universe of fast linear channels that are available via streaming. The playback is not on demand. Um, and the content is generally not available in those subscription streaming apps, the ones that we asked you about when you set up your TV. Um, and there's a lot of content, you know, I think there's on the order of more than a thousand fast channels now available in the US. And so, uh, and then to make things more complicated, you know, some of those channels are available in several different apps. Some of them are exclusive to one app or another, and some of them aren't available in an app at all. And so it can be really confusing uh, for consumers. So what we tried to do with our new live guide was unify all of that in a way that we thought would make sense to consumers. Um, what we saw in some of our research was that the EPG is a very familiar interaction model, um, that consumers already know how to use it. There's a real sense of comfort in sometimes not having to choose what to watch, but just putting on whatever's on. And you know, it's almost like the EPG takes away some of that paradox of choice that I alluded to earlier. Um, so what we've built is a single EPG. You know, It's not manageable to have a thousand channels and have to scroll through all of them. So we added a side nav. It lets you scroll quickly to the genre or type of channel that you're looking for, whether it's a movies channel or news or sports. Um, and then once you're in that group, it's a smaller set and you can pick what you wanna watch. Um, we will then drop you straight into playback in whatever app is carrying that channel. Um, and if you don't have the app yet, we'll, we'll make it easy for you to download and install the app. Um, One of the things about a lot, uh, I love about this particular update Ben, is you've done something which has been, I found, intensely annoying in the smart TV interfaces in general. And that is you brought in the, if it has an antenna, if it's a television with an antenna, you actually bring in the live TV channels. So, uh, you know, this is, this is great. It's the first time I've really seen a proper full integration there. So uh, talk, talk a little bit about, about that. Where, where did that come from? It's good. It's a great, great, great advance. Yeah, and I think that comes down to the core of sort of having one place to go to find what you want to watch. So the notion that you would have to know to go to a certain space to see the, the channels that are available on your antenna and a different place to find the, the fast channels doesn't really make sense, I don't think, from a consumer point of view. It's more of a holdover legacy, the way technology developed. So yeah, uh, fundamentally, it's the same kind of information and the EPG works well for both of those. Yep. As you said, the fat the fast market is expanding rapidly. It seems like there are new channels launching all the time. Is 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 Google 
TV's intention with the live guy to be all encompassing at some point to um, just you know just as Google indexes every page that's out there would live guide would we anticipate live guide to include every fast channel that launches as well or is it curated in some way you know I think that's part of our goal um, and you know one thing that I didn't mention that was also part of this launch is we added the ability for there to be built-in channels so when we think about the needs of the content partners some partners want to build their own app and deliver channels direct to consumer through an app. Others would prefer to distribute the content straight to the TV across all the TV OEMs. So we now support both types of partners. Um, as to whether or not we want to be all inclusive, I think there's certainly some selection goes into which channels seem to make sense. Our goal would be to have as many as possible. And, uh, you know, at some point the discovery becomes really challenging. So. I think that we're, we're going to reach a limit soon and we're going to need to find new solutions to, to you know, a thousand channels is one thing, but 10,000 would be an entirely different situation. Yeah, yeah. And you, you could have up to 800 channels integrated in because mm -hmm. you've done integrations with Sling TV, Pluto TV. You have your own 80-odd channel, 80-odd fast channels as well included. That, that tops up to about 800, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's more than that now. We've, we've been adding channels since the launch, so yeah. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I've, I have a love-hate relationship with the Linear Guide, Ben. Um, you know, yeah, it's familiar, but it, it really doesn't do a good job in helping us find stuff. So I'm interested in where you're planning on taking the Live Guide, what sort of advances you're planning to bring here. Um, so can you talk, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think there are some small improvements that we plan to make that I think people will appreciate. So, for example, right now, um, we don't show what we plan to do is add a section where we show the recent channels that you've engaged with so that you don't have to scroll and find the stuff that you're probably most likely to watch. Um, we do show recommendations both in the live guide and in the for you tab. Um, and I think we can get a lot better about doing that so that you know, most of the time our goal would be to get it right so that you don't have to navigate through the EPG, give you a quick shortcut into what we think you're likely to watch. Um, as for what comes next, I think there are a lot of product explorations we're considering and we're definitely open to ideas. So if you have a good idea of how to organize this information in a way that would be practical and useful to people, we'd love to hear it. Well, one thing I'd certainly love to see is more done with voice control and voice search um, in the interface. Is that an area you, you're looking at uh, right now? Because, you know, I've, I've played with this the solution and the voice does really good with the on-demand stuff and some of the SVOD services, but not so good with the live. Yeah, I think that's an area where there's still work to be done. Um, it gets somewhat tricky sometimes. You know, it's it's easy for us to map what we have as our intent in our head to what the television does. But sometimes when you say the name of a channel, for example, that that name is also the name of an app that you might download. Um, and it may be a channel available on different surfaces. So we're, we're trying to figure that out. Um, we do see a lot of engagement with voice. Um, and personally in my house anyway, that's the, that's the only way the kids use the TV. So absolutely an important area to keep getting better at. Before we leave the topic of fast uh, channels and how you've described the live guide organizes them, Ben, uh, can you just give us your sense of what, how you view the fast channel market these days and um, 
and any insights you guys have gleaned from what you've done with Live Guides so far? Yeah, I think it's um, we're just getting started, so we're definitely act, we're actively looking at you know some of the data and what we see in consumer feedback. Um, I think it's exciting that uh, so many channels have become available so quickly over the last couple of years. Um, I do think that discovery of new content is a well-known issue. Um, you know, as we add new channels into the guide, we need to make sure that people are are aware that we've added them. Otherwise, um, they won't see the engagement that they're hoping for. Um, and I think there'll be an evolution, you know, because streaming really gives you a lot of flexibility. I mean, that was part of the the value in, in the beginning was you could watch things on demand when you want. And we, you know, to some degree have taken that away and gone back to something that's familiar and predictable, which is the, the EPG and linear. Um, I think there's a probably a healthy hybrid between the two, um, and we haven't really figured out yet. As an industry, we haven't really figured out yet what that is. So, yeah, I, we'll continue to explore. Um, but I think that'll be important um, as we go forward. I think we'll see a lot of evolution in the next couple of years. Yeah, one, one of the letting people know when new channels are available that are probably appropriate for them sounds like a really rich area for you to investigate. I mean, you're doing the recommendations, you have this recommendation engine, so you know approximately what people like. So when a new new channel shows up, maybe that's a great opportunity there for you to make a direct re recommendation. Yeah, that's what we aspire to, and I think it's about finding the right balance so that you do that uh, in a way that doesn't you know, feel like a spam to users who aren't interested. You mentioned at the beginning that you have uh, Chromecast for Google TV, which is your own dongle. Can you talk about why you did that? You Obviously, you know, one of the things that you're really focused on is OEMs. You want to partner with smart TV manufacturers. Um, and you're not planning, it sounds like you're not planning on doing a TV anytime soon, unlike some of your competitors who, who seem to be jumping into that horribly low margin market. Uh, talk to us a little bit about why, why you're doing Chromecast for Google TV. How does that help you, you know, with your broader goals? Yeah, I think in general for Google, you know, being able to uh, deploy a reference device into the market is really important in the sense of really showing off the experience and what it can be. It helps anchor the conversation. Uh, it helps give the OEMs confidence um, that this is a product that, that really works. And we, we saw great reviews and really great feedback when we launched that first device on, on Chromecast. So I think there's that aspect to it. Um, I think the OTT devices play a really important role. So, for example, we recently uh, started selling a, a stick uh, 4K device, uh, Walmart on um, dongle that's under $20 and is selling really well. Um, I think that's another example of how, you know, for consumers, they want that flexibility. If they feel like their TV could use an upgrade, they shouldn't have to you know, throw away their panel and get another one. They should be able to upgrade uh, through the purchase of these devices. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a really important part of the ecosystem, and I think it'll continue to be. So I, so I guess you sort of answered one, one question that I had. I've, I've heard uh, some people speculating that the dongle is dead because smart TVs are being used much more. Uh, it sounds like you don't you don't agree with that. Yeah, I don't think it's dead. I, I do think, I mean, obviously, you know, um, let's say seven, eight years ago, you probably had a TV that wouldn't run some streaming apps that you wanted. And so you had to get a dongle, 
you know, and so that situation is different. So the urgency, I think, was a different degree than it was before. Um, but I think there's still a vibrant market for those, and I think they'll continue to do well going forward. Yeah. Tell us, um, Ben, we may have skipped over this at the top of the interview, but uh, tell, tell us just a little more about what your area of responsibility is and what you're focusing in. There are obviously so many different things that are happening in the CTV streaming fast business these days what your responsibilities are, where you're focusing your attention. Yeah, so my, my remit within the Google TV team is on what we call content and monetization. So I think about the needs of the content partners. I think about the consumer content discovery uh, journey, and, and I think about how to build a sustainable business for you know everyone in this uh, value chain around TV. So um, that includes uh, advertising, subscription, um, and other business models. So um, I don't work directly with the with the OEM partners. I'm I'm speaking here based on what I know, uh, working closely with the team that does. Um, but yeah, is there a uh, just as you think about the content partners and monetization? What would you say the number one thing is that they're telling you these days about uh, their as they focus on monetizing in the streaming environment? Yeah, I think, you know, as you all have covered very well uh, in the industry as a whole, um, retaining subscribers and reducing churn is a high priority. Um, Obviously, you know, um, finding new users and new subscribers continues also to be a priority. What we've seen is that when partners integrate with our content discovery um, mechanisms, they see substantial benefits in terms of the engagement, number of users. Um, So we're really trying to make sure that we can uh, better quantify that and work with our partners to see what's working for them and what's working for us and continue to evolve uh, to get better at, um, you know, I think if we we succeed in our core mission of connecting you with with the content you really love to watch, I think it's a win-win for us and the content providers. So it sounds like that's sort of a, a, a qualitative indication that the recommendations are working, right? That that's driving people in. You, can you give us any other sort of indications about uh, how much the guide's being used, how much voice and search is being used, anything in that sort of area? Yeah, so sometimes it depends a bit on the situation for the given partner. So there's a wide degree of uh, variation. So for smaller partners who are not as widely known by consumers, there's a really large benefit uh, to integrating into our discovery because um, really help connect people with their app. Uh, I think the live guide is a good example of that, right? You see a channel you want to watch and you just want to watch it and then we facilitate the installation of that app. Um, but even for larger partners, we've seen that when they uh, when they integrate, they see substantial. We call it the pre-app uh, experience. So, sort of they they're doing all that they can do within the app to to convince uh, you know consumers that they have great content. We can help bring that outside of the app um, right when people turn on the TV. So, um, even with large partners, we've seen um, pretty substantial gains uh, in terms of engagement. I think. Uh, ben, as we start to wind up here, it would be great to just talk a little bit more about the future, um, maybe any particular observations you have about the competitive dynamics uh, going forward in the 
TV OS and the user experience areas from a competitive standpoint, uh, what you're going to be focusing on your key priorities going forward, and maybe even something that might surprise our listeners that they have not uh, anticipated is going to be coming up. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have any any surprises, but I, I would say that, you know, it's an extremely uh, fast-moving uh, industry, uh, lots of changes across all, all fronts. I think one thing that has become clear to me is that there's an interplay across many stakeholders. So it's the OEMs, it's the streaming apps themselves, it's the advertisers and what they're looking to achieve. Um, and putting that all together in a way that still makes sense for the consumer, I think, is a real, real challenge. And, and um, you know, we see a lot of innovation happening all across the industry, and we're, we're uh, hoping to be a part of that and continue to make something that people love. Very good. And my, I guess my last question for you is: uh, I've heard a lot of speculation from some people in the TVOS industry that there's going to be a big consolidation down to a couple of players. I'm just wondering how you see that. Do you think that that's going to happen? Do you think Google TV is going to emerge as the, as the king of the hill at the end? You know, I don't see that happening at all. In fact, it seems to be going in the other direction. Um, we see new entrants to the TVOS market. Um, I, I wouldn't say on a on a daily basis, but a couple new ones each quarter, I would say. So I think there's a really vibrant competition there, and I don't see any structural reasons why it would get reduced down to one or two yeah we had we interviewed gears garden from experitivo uh, i think late last year about their entry into the market so i think yeah, i think i agree with you i think i don't see any convergence anytime soon but ben i think we're just about out of time so ben thank you so much for spending time with us i appreciate it thank you very much thank you ben thank you Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved.